Good morning. I appreciate the worship team leading us this morning. And uh, it's nice to know that we do not have to fear because his promises are true. And, uh, uh, and I didn't get lost today. Uh, uh, Miss Google was good to us as we came down. And uh, I told you last time I was here that I, I struggle with technology. I remember the first time someone gave me a, a uh, wireless toothbrush. There are no instructions with a wireless toothbrush. And I didn't know that you're supposed to put it in your mouth and then turn it on. Okay? I did not do that. I put the tooth, toothpaste on, turned it on, and then I was splattered. And I looked like a golf ball with all these little white dots on my face. So I, anyway, so Google was good to us. Uh, getting us down here. Uh, my wife was with me today, and I brought her down here last uh, weekend. We were in Tampa, Florida, a lot warmer there than here, and uh, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary, and uh, we went to the uh, first, yep, <clears throat> we went to the church we were married in, actually, I mean, it's a different church now, but the same uh, congregation, or for the most, well, actually, not for the most part, but uh, the same location, Sort of. <laughs> I know it's totally ambiguous, right? That prayer needs to be updated. Not such a smart guy, not such a wise guy, all right? But uh, anyway, and uh, we were down there and had a good time. And, uh, but then a the, uh, couple of weeks ago, I think we were in, or two or three weeks ago, we were in uh, Dallas, Texas. And I got to speak in my mom's church. She is the piano player for a little church in East Texas. And uh, my brother was my brother was there, and he actually my mother played the offertory, and then my brother sang before I spoke. So it was really it was really cool doing that in a little little church out there. And uh, but I will say that being in Texas, those of you who are from Texas or you have relatives there, you know about Texas, right? You can always tell a Texan. You can't tell them much, but you can always tell a Texan. And uh, anyway, so I found these things along the way. Uh, while we were on our trip in, uh, in uh, the Texas area. See if this, this is a, I, their speed limits are a little unusual there. But uh, anyway, I thought that was kind of an odd uh, speed limit sign. Kind of nice since there's so far you have to go. And then, of course, if you're into, uh, uh, you know, they just don't. They don't. They're very proud. They do not call 911 in Texas. And, uh, of course, if you're into... Uh, uh, eating, uh, they have a new way of doing uh, barbecues, and uh, and then this uh, next one here. Oh, I'm not sure how that got in here. I, <laughs> sorry, I, I. I'm sorry. I, I. I. I'm not sure how that got in there, but uh, anyway, that was rated PG-13. But anyway, but. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, anyway, I also have some guests here today uh, visiting with us and uh, being here. Uh, Miss Bobby Schmidt and her sister Nancy are here today. <clears throat> and uh, Miss Bobby is, uh, she's my adopted mom. She lives in Monita. And uh, so she came out to, uh, to hear me speak. We're going to go to lunch after church. This is going to be like an early Mother's Day thing, all right, because I know your, your, your real kids are going to take you out then. But uh, uh, I'm kind of... I, I actually showed up literally on their doorstep as a seminary student uh, years ago, and I never left, all right? And uh, anyway, we've stayed in contact over the years, and uh, she and her husband uh, pretty much uh, adopted me and treated me like a son, and uh, uh, we, uh, 
said uh, goodbye to Dr. Frank almost a year ago. And uh, uh, it was a celebration. It was not anything of mourning. It was a celebration. In fact, Miss Bobby had, I'd never seen a bouquet of balloons at a funeral before. But she did that, and uh, they're just a wonderful family uh, to us. So I'm glad she's here. And so the pressure is on. My wife is here, my adopted mom is here, so I have to do really good and behave myself uh, up here. And uh, I do know that uh, you're going to roast Dr. Wheeler next week, right? I, I, at least that's the text I've been seeing on, all morning. The, the church leadership is going to do this, okay? The leadership is going to do this. They're all just jumping at the bit. And, um, but let me say on behalf of Dr. Wheeler, uh, he is... He has his finger on the pulse of evangelism at our university. And uh, you take him out of the equation, and then I would say I would have question marks. Uh, but he has the pulse there, and he also it gives our students an evangelistic blood transfusion every time he teaches his course. So I'm uh, proud to be a part of, uh, of this, this ministry here, even though it's been uh, an interim relationship, and uh, he's just a good guy. Now, I know he's vertically challenged, so you might want to pick on him on that one, you know. You know, pick him up and go, wee. No, don't do that. He's probably a little heavy to do that, but uh, not a good idea. I was kidding with that, but uh, anyway, love him to death. And, uh, but I know that at the university, it's ex extremely stressful time at the university right now because we're getting ready to graduate and we have finals. You know, we all love finals, right? And my students just freak out, you know. And I always have this prayer, or statement, I should say, before they, have, they take their final exam. And I say, you can look up for inspiration. You can look down in desperation. But you cannot look around for information. So we make it real clear what the deal is, all right, when it comes to tests. So anyway, I digress, all right. I wanted to talk about striving for excellence, Striving for excellence. There is a biblical basis of us trying to do our very best. And we'll see if this is going to work here. Let me give you some definitions of excellence. Uh, these are more secular descriptions of the, uh, definitions of excellence, such as exceeding greatness, superior, first class, eminently good, or simply the best. And I know sometimes when we think about being the best, for me, I have a hard time with that because that means only one person can be the best. And the scripture kind of brings that back to more of a, rea a realistic uh, ex explanation, as we'll get to in a moment. But I wanted to show you some uh, pictures of people whom some people would consider the best. All right, so you tell me. You can actually respond, all right? We'll see how, you know, we'll see what, how your pop culture uh, knowledge or IQ is, right, when I put some of these pictures up. Okay, so who is this? Michael Jordan. All right, those of you who follow basketball, okay, you should. You're this close to North Carolina, so you should follow basketball. Michael Jordan. Some people would say he is the absolute best. Okay, now we could debate that, all right, I know. Of course, there's some people who think if you follow hockey, anybody, I'm just curious, anybody knows, know who, knows who this is? Who is this? Wayne Gretzky, all right, very good. Uh, I think he is still the best player that ever uh, played hockey, and we lived in uh, his town for 19 years. And uh, anyway, they're playing the Oilers one last night, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. And uh, all right, 
Some would argue that this person is the best. Not a good picture here, but uh, anybody know? That's LeBron. Okay, I know, not a Cavaliers jersey. Okay, all right, all right, come on, stay with me here. All right, here we go. You know who this is? Some people would say he is the best. He's certainly the richest, all right, Bill Gates. Who? Steve Jobs, all right, Mr. Apple, okay. <laughs> all right, you got that one, that's good, all right, that was a little louder. Some of you are going, nah, not him, all right, all those back problems he's having and all that sort of thing. Well, I, we could argue this one, all right, I think we could probably debate this one, okay, more of a contemporary. Good, Usain Bolt, all right, fastest man in the world, continues to be that out of Jamaica, and uh, I was actually in Jamaica once, and he was running a race, and the entire country stopped to watch him race, and uh, the, the kids literally just run around, they run around on the beach all the time, having a great time, and, and so you, you can see the heritage behind that. Pavarotti, do you know his first name? I don't either. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's some examples of, of, of images of people that we might think that are the best, all right, and then some people would, what about this guy? Michael Phelps, all right, I think he's the best, okay, when it comes to swimming. Yeah, Simone, all right, Christian girl. Yeah, I kind of threw that in there, okay, this is my team, all right, I'll, I'll become realistic with you, okay, there you go, rest of you happy, all right, you happy, okay, all right, just want you, I don't want to get everybody up, you know, all mad or anything, anyway, so we have these different, uh, these different images of excellence, so I wanted to show you some passages of scripture here, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it says, now I will show you the most excellent way, the best way. I think sometimes we actually overlook John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now that sounds a little exclusive, doesn't it? It sounds extremely narrow, doesn't it? But that's the, that's the truth. That is, he is a more excellent way. He is the best Way. Now, we all know there's lot, the world has all kinds of ways to get to heaven, right? There's all kinds of ways that are out there. But the scripture is clear there is an excellent way. It is the best way. And Jesus said, it's, it's, frankly, it's the only way. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So if we're going to think, if our, and obviously we struggle sometimes in the mind, right? But the scripture says, if we're going to think about anything, let's think about those things that are excellent, that, those, that they're good, that they're the best, they're the best for us. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So the word excellence is found in Scripture. All right, these are just some examples here. <clears throat> and then Titus 3.8, I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. 
So when we, st- when we talk about excellence, this is, this is not just some uh, uh, positive thinking kind of discussion. The scripture talks a lot about excelling and excellence, doesn't it? Let me give you some biblical descriptions of the word excellent. Admirable. It's choice. When we say choice, it's not between two. It's like, this is choice. When we say choice meat, okay, a choice cut, it's like the best, all right? So when we talk, when the scripture talks about excellence, this is, this is, the, this is choice. This is good. This surpasses, this surpasses everyone. Different ver- words, you, different passages talk about an individual who, who was excellent in his sword skills. He surpassed in his sword skills. He was the best. Someone else, another passage talks about he surpassed everybody with his knowledge. He was smart. He was the best. Then something that's rare. You don't often see this. And then something that is beyond measure. These are biblical descriptions of the word excellent. There's been a number of books that have been written down the, uh, over the years, and here's a couple of them. You, maybe you've read these books or seen these books, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then Stephen Covey, a few years, uh, about a dozen years ago, actually wrote this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But what's interesting about these books, and as, as, as secular as they may look, there's actually a tremendous amount of biblical basis from where they get their information. Now... There's another book that came out years ago entitled In Search of Excellence. Now, if you're into business and you run your own business or you're a boss or whatever, this, this, will be a, this should be a good read for you. Because Peters and Waterman, the guys who wrote this book, actually went and they wanted to find out what makes companies, what makes businesses really good or, as they said, excellent. What makes them excellent? And they looked at McDonald's and IBM and Microsoft and different companies like that to see what makes these companies tick. And as they began to bring their, their qualita- qualitative research together, they began to re- as they listed some things, and as I read some of their descriptors of what it takes to be an excellent company, there's actually a tremendous amount of biblical basis for what they, ca- what they came up with with their conclusions. So let's look at some of those. The first thing they came up with is that a company must be action-oriented. It has a bias for getting things done. Someone said 80% of success is simply showing up. You can ask any high school or college dropout if that's true, and they'll say that's definitely true. If you just show up for school, there's a high probability you'll pass. If you just show up. If you don't show up, there's a high probability you will fail. If you do not show up for work, there is a high probability you will not be employed very long. You must at least show up. So 80% of success is showing up. FDR said, but above all, try something. And I've actually had this talk with uh, uh, people I've worked with in ministry at Youth for Christ where things just weren't going on. And I would say, listen, I don't care what you do, but I need you to do something. Just do something. Now, another executive said, ready, fire, then aim. So the bottom line is to get things done. Now, let me give you a passage of scripture here, and I know this is hard to read, so I'm going to read it from my, uh, my hard copy up here, and if you want to follow along. Uh, Mark chapter 1, and let me set this story up. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 40, and we're all familiar with this particular story, and it says, a man with leprosy came to him 
and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, and be clean. Immediately the leprosy, the leprosy went away and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. Okay? He obviously is so excited, right? I mean, he'd, been, he'd been killed of this incurable disease. And, so, and Jesus says, no, I, don't, I, want, I want you to keep it on the down low here. But no, the guy goes ape crazy and tells everybody. Well, because of that, the word gets out that Jesus is nearby and he's healing people. So now let me, let me jump to chapter 2 of Mark. And it says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, remember, he told the guy not to tell anybody, right? But no, the word got out. The people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat, the, paraly lowered the, mat, the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now here is an example of four friends who actually were action-oriented. Not only did they have a friend who needed carrying, who had tremendous physical needs, and they were quick to identify those, and they grabbed him, and of course they, they, the scripture says they each had a corner, there are four of them, they each had a corner of the mat, and they took him to Jesus. Of course, the crowd, the crowd did not stop him. For some of us, if we saw a big, I'm that way, if I see a, a long line or a big crowd, it's like, I just go a different direction or I just don't go. Well, these guys weren't that way. They saw the big crowd and trying to listen to Jesus outside this building, but they, they ignored the obstacles. Why? Because they were action-oriented. We need to do something for our friend. They recognized his need, and they recognized the person who could actually help him with his need. See, sometimes we can't meet people's needs, right? We don't have to look far to see the needs of people. Now, if we have the ability, I think we should. But I know that there are times where we don't have the ability and somehow we have to connect those people with someone who can actually help them with their need. And these, these friends understood that. They said, we cannot help him, so what are we going to do? So they go there and they find out this huge crowd, they can't get in to the building before Jesus. But they were action-oriented. They were action-oriented. Now, I'm not sure if it was a stairwell that got them up on the roof uh, I don't think they had, uh, you know, sun patios back in those days. They had plenty of sun, all right, and that little patio. I don't think it was any. It was a very functional, not a lot of, not a lot of form, but all about function. So I'm not sure if there was a steps of stairwells that got them to the top. I think there was not a stairwell up to the to the roof of this building. I think they had to somehow figure out how to get all of them, all five of them, on this roof because they were action oriented. We need to do something. We have an obstacle in front of us. There's a lot of people. But now they have another obstacle. They have an architectural obstacle. 
This is not handicap accessible. And so now they decided, no, we have another problem. Let's get to the roof and figure a way to get him down. And so they overlooked the obstacles. They went over the obstacles, and then they were action-oriented. Now, I don't know if they made a nice little square, uh, rectangular-type opening, you know, like a skylight. I don't know if it was that clean or not. Probably not. But it was enough to get them up there and enough to be able to, to lower their, their friend before Jesus. Now, I, I know that if these were... Uh, you know, some young guys and just trying to just get it done, you know, they, they probably could have just dropped him down there because Jesus is going to heal him anyway. But they thought, no, let's lower him down there. They were at least sensitive enough for him to lower him down there, okay? Using discretion when they lowered him before Jesus. And of course, Jesus, Jesus healed him. So we need to be action-oriented. And you know, we don't have to look around very far, do we, to see the needs that need to be done. Or someone who needs our help. We don't have to look very far, do we, to be action-oriented. Be action and then the second characteristic of these excellent companies was that they actually allowed people to develop their niche. That thing that they do well. Romans 12 says this, Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we have each different work to do. So we belong to each other's and each needs all the others. In other words, we're all in this together. Now we have different personalities. We have different skill sets. We have different spiritual giftings. And part of the challenge in ministry is to sort of get that all coordinated and, and making it compatible, right? That's, that's, that's the hard part. But the bottom line is this, we're all in this thing together, and the, so whatever you do well, now we could talk a lot about spiritual giftings. The scripture actually says, see if I have the verse here, yeah, Timothy, 2 Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. In other words, activate it, try, just try it out, stir it up, fan this thing to see if, it's, if you have that spiritual gift. Now, I think we all have spiritual gifts, or hopefully you have one or two that you can identify. You say, well, I'm not really sure. The bottom line is this. If there's a spiritual gifting that you do and you do it really well, probably you have that gift. Like, you don't even have to think twice about it. And you say, well, I don't have the gift of giving, so that's, does that mean I don't have to give? No. No. It just means that it's not it's going to be as easy for you. You say, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. You know, does that mean you, you don't have to show mercy? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means it's going to be harder for you. But if you have the gift of gi giving or the gift of mercy, they come easy for you. But regardless, we need to identify what our spiritual gift is and use it to God's, to God's glory. And then the, another, the third element they found in these excellent companies was that they had the ability to build a team. They built a team. The main ingredient in building a team is unity. Uh, scripture says, try always to be led alone, along together by the Holy Spirit. Under, under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. And each part in its own special way helps the other part so that the whole body is healthy and growing. A great example of a team is found actually in Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And you're familiar with that story. But what an incredible story of building a team. In Nehemiah chapter 1, 
It says in verse, uh, verse 3, it says he, he was looking around, Nehemiah was looking around, and he says this, that the wall of Jericho is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. That was disturbing to him. Something needed to be done. So here was a guy who was actually, he, he was action-oriented. But beyond that, he cannot do this alone. He can't. So then in chapter 2, it says that he, Nehemiah prayed. He says, I prayed to the God of heaven, and I, I asked him, let, me, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers were buried so that I can rebuild it. That's a wonderful acknowledgement to God. It's like, here, here I am, Lord, send me. And he did. The Lord did. But as soon as he took that task upon himself, an arduous task, there was criticism. In verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, And Sanballat and Tobiah, uh, officials heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone was, had come to promote the welfare of the Israelis. So there was, a, there was definitely a, a, uh, uh, an ethnicity thing going on there. So these guys are making it clear they're not happy about the situation. When you and I decide that God wants us to do something, he has put something into our heart to do, I think we can expect criticism. And these guys criticized. So Nehemiah inspected the, 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 the Jerusalem walls and he said, I had, told any, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do with Jerusalem. By night I went out through the valley gate through the jackal gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. And then I said to, the, to them, let, come let us build, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Now I want you to catch these, these words that he uses. Come let us rebuild the wall. And then he says, we will no longer be in disgrace. And then in verse uh, verse 18, he says they replied, and, and this is how they replied, let us start rebuilding. So, and the writer says this, so they began this good work. We, us, they, it was, it was a team effort that they took on this incredible task. And then in verse 20, it says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us, we, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall. This was a, this was a, this was a, team, a team effort. And then in chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 2, it says, The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. Now you have to picture this. This was such a team effort that the people, wherever they stood, well, I don't know if it, was, if it was near their house or their plot of farmland or their garden or whatever, but regardless, the scripture says they built this portion of the wall. And then the person beside them built their portion or their section of the wall. And then that person built their section of the wall. This is an incredible uh, uh, example of, of team. And the scripture uses the word next to him, next to him, next to him in verses 4 and 5 and 6. The next section, it was all done in tandem with each other as they built this wall. Nehemiah was a wise individual to to. Bring this team together. Now, it's one thing to give instructions, by the way. It's one thing to give instructions. It's another thing to give everyone, your team, the big picture. 
There's a bigger picture in mind here. There's a bigger goal in mind here. It's not just building this one section of a wall. There is a bigger picture in mind. There's a bigger vision in mind, if you will. So if we want to build the team, we have to inspire with the, bigger, with the big picture, but then give them the specifics and enable them to do the specifics that they have been asked to do. So they keep working along. It was interesting. I found a verse here uh, in uh, verse or chapter uh, 4. It says that those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Chapter 4, verse uh, 17. Now that's interesting to me. They were wise enough to know that there's danger around them. There are a lot of people who are not happy about the fact that you are rebuilding this wall to protect your people. They were not happy about it. So they knew they had to protect not only their people, but themselves as well as they labored. So I can imagine these guys trying to build rocks and cut rocks and piece them together with one hand, but they had their weapon in the other hand. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. What an incredible example of a man who brought almost an entire country together to build an unbelievable project to protect their people. I remember years ago when we were living in Alberta, Canada, we had a friend who played uh, professional uh, football up there. They, they call it the CFL, the Canadian Football League. Okay, it's kind of the minor leagues for the NFL, but anyway, they, you can't tell them that. But uh, uh, we had a friend who played for them, played for the, <clears throat> our local team. And I remember they had a player there that uh, was actually a very gifted, I think he was a linebacker. And, uh, but one, I, I, remember, I remember one weekend he was actually not, he wasn't around, he wasn't on the roster. So I asked our friend, and I said, uh, you know, where's so-and-so? They said they cut him. I said, really? I said, I thought he was a good player. He said, he was a good player, but he wasn't a team player. I said, interesting. I thought it was interesting that even a professional football team would actually acknowledge, a, a, acknowledge the fact that you may be a very gifted athlete, very talented athlete, but if you're not a team player, you don't belong here. And I think we've seen that over and over, even obviously with the NFL. So it's so important for us to keep this in mind. When we, are, when we are striving for excellence, that we need to build team unity in whatever we do. So we have these examples of, uh, of Nehemiah. And uh, what was interesting was they actually got the job done. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 15, it says, So the wall was completed in 52 days. He was, he was on time and under budget. Uh, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. So, you know, even though there was a lot of human effort involved here, even their enemies acknowledged that there is a God element in this. Uh, Lisa Turkhurst uh, is, is president of a ministry organization of, called Proverbs 31 Ministries. Uh, and this is a good question. You know, in teams, there are conflicts, right? Sometimes we just disagree. So she was asked this question, why, or tried to answer this question, why do we have conflicts with others in our teams? She gave, gave us two reasons. Number one, sometimes we feel opposed. Someone opposes us. So we react. In other situations, we may be exposed. But either way, we have a conflict. 
And she gives, I think, a very, I think it's a very interesting response. How do we deal with this? And she uses the word, when we have that conflict with our teams, to pause. And we don't like to pause because we don't like silence. Silence we're just uncomfortable with, aren't we? But here's a passage of scripture. Proverbs 10, 19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent holds their tongues. That's interesting. Proverbs 12, 16 says, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlooks an insult. To pause, to wait. So when there's conflict, I think the exhortation to us is just push the pause button. Now you say, well, how long do I have to pause? I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully before the sparks start flying, all right? Just pause and try to work this out. And then Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, Mark them which cause or who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And the scripture says, avoid them. I think the scriptures puts a high priority on the unity of the body of Christ. Somehow we need to get along. And then the fifth element that they found that these excellent companies had was that they respected the individuals, they accentuated the positive. There's a great verse, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Nathan replied to the king, this is King David, he said to the king, whatever you have in mind, now you have to understand, and you know the story. He is saying this now, but later on he actually has to confront the king. But notice how he words this. He says, whatever you have in mind. This is a blank check from the high priest, the prophet. Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Showing great respect for the position of King David. Now, he also had to take on the incredible responsibility to show respect for him as well later on with the incident of Bathsheba. But he also approached it, I still think, with respect and dignity, but he was crystal clear on what needed to be, what needed to be said and done. Then Mark chapter 1, verse 41, it says, Jesus was moved with pity and he touched the leper. Now, I don't know a lot about leprosy. I have not seen leprosy firsthand. But if you've read about leprosy, Dr. Paul Brand is a Christian uh, medical missionary who actually treated uh, on, on uh, uh, leprosy islands uh, where people were basically sent there and has incredible books written about his experiences. But the thing that the, the, leper, the leper, leper needed the most was someone to simply touch them, human touch. Of course, people were afraid. They weren't sure, you know, do they, do they get it this way? And you know, and they didn't want to get that disease, and so people obviously would avoid them. And, of course, lepers were, you know, socially ostracized because of that. But Jesus broke all those social norms, and he respected the individual. He was moved with pity, and he touched this individual, showing incredible compassion for this individual person. So Jesus showed respect for those that society looked down upon. He did this constantly and in the most perfect way. Those who were prostitutes, those who had a different ethnic background, he showed respect and dignity. To women in a culture that did not look upon them that way. Uh, handicapped people, he showed respect and dignity for them. 
and even young people, children, a big fan of young kids. It's just a, he showed respect. They weren't a nuisance to him. When the disciples wanted to kind of shoo them off, you know, Jesus showed respect for the individual and embraced the children. He showed respect to those. So what are we supposed to do as believers? We are to be members of one another. We're to be devoted to one another. We are to honor one another. We are to be of the same mind with one another. We are to accept one another. We are to admonish one another. We are to greet one another. We're to serve one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to submit to one another. We are to encourage each other. Number seven, the best run companies are close to their customer. Have you ever gone to a, I'm, I'm kind of a fast food connoisseur. I know, I know that's, that's a bad thing to admit, all right? But, uh, you know, I do like fast food and uh, I try to limit myself. But have, you ever, ever, have they ever got it wrong when you, you went to the fast food? They just got it wrong, you know? And it's kind of like, you know, how did you get that wrong? I said, I don't want onions, you know? It's like an onion bloom thing from, you know, Outback on my hamburger. I don't want that. You know, and, 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 if the, and you know what? I'll actually give them a break the first time, okay? Like, you know, rookie mistake, you know? But if it, goes, if it happens over and over again, I'm going to get a little annoyed, you know? Panera Bread did not put turkey on my wife's sandwich last week. I'm a little annoyed by that, you know? And I'm already five miles away. Do I go back and say, can you put a turkey on here, you know? No, you don't. You just kind of suck it up, you know? And, so I'm a little annoyed with Panera, all right? But I can guarantee you, if I were to say the word, Panera would probably do what they can to make it right. And I applaud any company that tries to make it right. Why? Because you want to stay close to me. I, I'm going, I want to give you money. So you probably want to treat me well. In Canada, when we lived in Canada, we were actually almost embarrassed by the way we were treated at banks. Bank people were like, no, I know, I'll get all the bankers mad at me, all right? But up there, the bankers were, just, they, it was almost like they're annoyed with you. You know, take a number, you know, wait in line. It's like, this is crazy. I want to give you my money, you know? You're, you know, give me a hard time. My, I mean, my least favorite place is the DMV. I'm sure it's probably your favorite place, all right? Are they happy to see you there? Really, are they happy to, no, they're never, no, I made all the DMV employees mad, all right? I, you know, I hope you change it, Okay. All right, I have never had a good experience. Never had a good experience. All right, they they need they need this sermon. All right, they need this sermon. Okay, they need to be close to the customer because we're giving you money. All right, we want to do business, and you people, and if you men, if you're in business for yourself, women, if you have your own business, you know you need to be close to your customers for your your business to survive. Well, here's an interesting verse. Matthew nine says this: the Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher associate with men like that? And Jesus responds, but because people who are well don't need a doctor. And then he added, now go away and learn the meaning of this verse in Scripture. It isn't your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful, for I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. So here's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. Are we distancing ourselves from each other? And are we distancing ourselves from those who need to hear the message of Christ the most? 
We have a very skeptical world out there, very skeptical. Are we distancing? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But we need to ask ourselves, are we distancing ourselves from the very people who need to hear this message? Then the last point here I'll make is this. If I can get to it. The best-run companies have a sound set of beliefs and a faithful adherence to those beliefs. I remember uh, I was at a conference, and a, and a guy came up, and he was one of our speakers, and he was a, uh, the CEO of an ice cream company uh, business out, uh, out west, uh, Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor. And I don't know if it still exists or not. Some of you, if you're, out, if you're ever out west, you know, uh, great ice cream place. I mean, they do crazy things there, and they embarrass people, and they have ridiculous portions of ice cream, and every way you can have it served. And he was the CEO, and he's actually a Christian guy. And he came and he and he had this. And he came, he came and, he, and he put this super thick book on his on the podium. It was like just really thick. And he said, "This is our operating manual for our company." And then he had his Bible, and he put it right here. And it was really is a lot thinner than his his Bible, company Bible. He said, "This is our Bible." This is our operating manual. In other words, if we're going to do it right, we have to get this right. The scripture says this, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what really is the word of God, which is that work in you believers. It's the, it's the scriptures. That is our operating manual for life. So my last verse here is this. We can be the best in God's eyes. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I hope this morning that not only will your company or business benefit from these principles, but hopefully your life as well. Would you bow with me in prayer for a moment? As I'm bowed in prayer, if the worship team would come and <clears throat> lead us in a final song. But as we're bowed in prayer, let's just uh, contemplate a little bit about what God wants us to do. Are there things we need to work on? Are there principles we need to uh, engage and employ in our lives. Lord, we are thankful for your love for us. We thank, thank you for, thankful for the, uh, the patience you have with us. And Father, this goes way beyond just the bottom line of a business or a company, Lord, but certainly it goes uh, to a level of spirituality, a level of eternity when it comes to being our best for you. And Lord, by us giving you our best and being our best to excel to give our excellence for you, that many people would come to the kingdom through that. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name.